want to say something. If you're in the, in the room today, uh, Lauren and, and Brett and about 12 or 13 other young 20-somethings came to my house for dinner the other night. We had a good time. Had manicotti. I cooked it. Nobody got sick. Just making sure y'all are still awake. If you're in your mid to late 20s or early 30s and you've not plugged in in a small group or our Sunday school class, which meets right now, we're going to, on the first Wednesday night in November, we're going to be meeting here at 6 o'clock. You can come for dinner if you like, or you can call ahead and get a dinner reserved. But we're going to be upstairs. Uh, in fact, Mike and I have been talking about a good resource he's using, so we may try. But we're going, to, we're going to spend some time together developing our faith together in a small group setting, and we would welcome you, married or single. Uh, it's about young adults. Thank you, Lauren. The scripture today is Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Excuse me. There's a song some of you may know growing up. Some of you may not. But it's from the scripture. It's from Matthew 6, 33. And it goes like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, maybe. I know some of us who are a little older have some gray hair, probably remember that from our teenage years. <clears throat> Excuse me. Could I get some water? Um, thank you. Okay, Cindy, thank you. I apologize. This fall sinus stuff. Um, that song influenced uh, a pastor that I know. His name is Mike Slaughter, and Mike is the pastor of the Ginghamsburg United Methodist Church. It's up in Tip City, Ohio. And Mike said to an affluent kid growing up in the suburbs, those lyrics were a reminder that though much of culture is focused on gaining more, getting ahead, our priorities as followers of Jesus is to seek His will before our own material good. Let that sink in a minute. To seek first means that we put his will before our own material good. Bless you. Now Susan and I have been 
working on a series this month of October. And we've been talking about the chemistry of a Christian and the, the ways in which we take the vows of being a part of this church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Last two weeks ago, I began with talking about the importance of setting aside time every day for prayer. But I want to say a further word about that. I go to see uh, an Episcopal priest once a month. He's my spiritual director. Why don't you go see a Methodist? Because I want to go see this guy. He's really adept at guiding people in their spiritual lives. And we pastors need somebody to help guide us. And one of the things he talked with me about this week was that we don't need to ask people to pray as something else to do in their busy lives. But what if, what if we had our life attuned that we would be in conversation with God throughout the day? He, I can teach you, he's taught me and he's developed a one-line prayer. That when you walk through an elevator or walk into an elevator, uh, my prayer is, Lord, let me experience your joy. That's my prayer. It's changed over the years. Lord, let me experience my joy, your joy. And, and, and he said, put something on your cell phone or when it rings just before you exercise, Lord, let me experience your joy. And, and, and if, if you go into the bathroom, Lord, let me experience your joy. I know that sounds crazy, but, but it's more than prayer being, well, I, I got it. It's something else to do. We don't need anything else to do, do we? We're busy. But what if we lived with this prayer on our lips? I don't know what your prayer might be, but if you want to talk about that with me after the worship service or sometime near in the future, it's a pretty cool thing to do. Today, I'm going to talk about giving. And I'm not going to be apologetic, and I don't want any of you to feel like you've got to sit there and squirm in your seat, okay? Please, that's not what this message is about. So don't get nervous when I start talking about it, because I believe in it, I love it, and I think it's important. But I don't want you to, to be squirming in your seat thinking about what you're not doing or what, what, what's he interested in. Just listen with an open heart, okay? Just listen with an open heart and an open mind. Now, Mike Slaughter said that his life as a young adult, in his life as a young adult, that song I just sang, Seek Ye First, was a song that stuck with him. Uh, some of you may have favorite songs, rock and roll songs. I have some of those. But it kept sticking in his head, and it helped him to navigate the social scene as a young adult in which people's worth was measured by what kind of car they drove, what kind of clothes they wear, and who they shopped with, by the way, Harry Mayer or Randy Price. And how good they were at sports. That's what his world was like as a young adult growing up in the 70s. I got news for you. I don't think it's changed that much, has it? We still, we still judge people like that. But these words that Jesus preached, these words from Matthew's gospel I just sang to you, Matthew 6, the first time they were heard, they were not spoken to young, affluent, suburban children. They were spoken to people who were in poverty. They were spoken to people who were slaves to the wealthy in the first century Greco-Roman world. And, and for Jesus to go on in that sermon, and if you want to check me out, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's heady reading. It is not for the weak of heart. It's good stuff. It will challenge you. 
Jesus talks in that, that Sermon on the Mount, quote unquote, don't worry about what you eat or, or wear. And that sounds very different to someone struggling out on the streets of Hattiesburg who doesn't know where their next meal's coming from. And they, they need a clean pair of underwear because the one they have on is two weeks old. We have people walking around right now like that in Hattiesburg. Those of us who have clothes in our closet and we have enough snacks in our food pantry that we can just decide which cookie, what kind of cookie we want today. Those words about eating and drinking and what you're going to wear, they don't matter as much. And there's a lot of things in our world today that that people in Jesus' day wouldn't recognize either. But here's the common core. Here's the common connection. Jesus addresses. It's not... Is that God is not going to judge you on how much money you make and how successful you are in your career. What is important is how you're living your life as a participant in His kingdom. And how are you finding contentment in knowing that your possessions don't possess you? So, how free are you really? Are you freed up? When you see an advertisement on TV or you're driving by somewhere and you see sale, I'm a sucker. I don't know about y'all, but I am a sucker. I like clothes. But do you say to yourself when you're in your favorite place or when you see a sale or you get drawn in by advertisement? Because I've been at Hudson's. I I shop at Hudson's sometimes too. I've been at Hudson's with a 75% piece garment, probably slacks or shoes, walking and think, I really don't need that. It's just something else. Now, I'm not telling you that 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 happens all the time because I love bargains. I bought a $1,000 suit at Hudson's one time. At least that's what it said on on the label. From New York City, it was silk. It was beautiful. It was beige. I got it for 90% off. And I wore it for six years, so, I mean, hey, I got my money's worth. But you see, our culture still defines us by wealth and beauty and power, and it is an invitation to slavery. Did you hear that? And the dirty deed that keeping up with the Joneses tricks us into. Every time I try to get in their neighborhood, those suckers have moved. I don't know about y'all. Living with attitude keeps us from real freedom in Christ. You see, we humans have this hole in our souls. And we're often tempted to fill it with desires, that, with something that makes us look good or feel good or makes life more convenient. Go ahead, Eve. Remember her? Go ahead, Eve. Just eat this. It'll make you. You won't die. So Paul, whose congregation was made up of poor people, mostly, and slaves. He was strengthened by this gift from these folks in Philippi. He organized their churches. He did in lots of other places those names of the letters in the New Testament, like like Colossians and, and Corinthians. Those are cities in the ancient world where Paul met people like 
who wanted to know who Jesus was and who followed him. And those people supported him early on in his ministry. The text says that, and you can read as early as in Acts chapter 2 where Luke even acknowledges Paul's work there from people in Thessalonica. He praises his congregation for their generosity to his ministry. They had prayed for him, and he knew that, but now they give him something significant out of their own poverty to support his ministry. We don't know how much the gift was, but Paul says, it's not that I'm unhappy in my life right now. I like my life. It is, I am satisfied. That's what the text says. But he uses a word in another translation that was a word that was really powerful in the ancient world. He says, I'm content. I'm content. And William Barclay, the great uh, theologian from Scotland, said that this word content has significant meaning in the first century world because it was a practice of the very learned and educated. They were philosophers. I told uh, Dr. Bruton I wouldn't try to go too far with my definition because he's the expert in philosophy here. But in essence, what the Stoics believed was that they wanted to live self-sufficiently, that nothing ever really mattered to them. They, would be, they were content in their life to be intellectually free from the desires of the world. The Stoics' motto was, I can be, my, I can be content by my own will. But Paul says in this text, and he was, a, he was a philosopher, he was learned and brilliant. He said, I've learned that in Christ... I can be content. I can be satisfied. He supplies my need because I've learned to trust him in every circumstance. The Stoic believed in self-sufficiency. Paul had come to learn and experience God-sufficiency. And I call this God-sufficiency being freed up. That's what the message is about. It's being freed up. Paul had known riches as well as poverty, and he thanks the Philippians. And he believed that God would bless them not for their gift, but their attitude in giving. That they were free, even in their circumstances, to support Him. Now being freed up means that our gift will never make us poor. Some of y'all know Rick Voss. He gave me a quote while ago, right before the service. He said, I read in a devotional last week, it was a quote from Billy Graham. Y'all hear this? Dr. Billy Graham, some of you know who he is. was one of the greatest ministers ever. Billy Graham said, nobody ever went bankrupt from tithing. Nobody ever went bankrupt from tithing, giving 10% to God. You see, when we give to God, it opens us up to receive blessings. I'm not talking about because you give, God is going to bless you with some monetary gift. That's prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. But every one of us in this room, whether we'll admit it or not, when we do set aside something, when we give generously, in the back of our minds is, is God going to take care of me? I mean, if I really give that much, is God going to take care of me? This, This process doesn't happen all at once. This being freed up doesn't happen all at once. It begins, though, when we really do make God our priority with our lives. When we make God the Lord and Savior of our lives, of our material wealth, of our time, of our talent, of how we live out our life. 
Now, those may sound like flowery words that preachers are supposed to say. I'm telling you, it's the truth. Our ability to create and develop financial resources ultimately comes from Him. He gave us the knowledge and the mind to develop those things. If you read that handout in your your bulletin this morning on gifts, it's a true story. I don't know if you've read it yet. I wish you could know Billy and Ann Vance. If if Billy were up here on the stage with me or Miss Ann were up here on the stage with me today and I said, Billy, do you believe that stuff Miss Ann asked you to do? He said, I do now. He said, at first I scared to death. He said, do you preach it? Do you know how much I made that first year farming? I said, how much? He said, $4,000. Now that was a while ago. But if I said, Billy, was it worth it? He said, yes, sir. Absolutely. I'm so glad that Miss Ann asked me to do that. And we put our faith in God. They, had, they raised four kids. Sent them to private school in the Delta. I know we all have, we're afraid at times to really stretch ourselves out and give to God. So do you believe it's possible for you to be freed up and not so enslaved to the wants and desires of a society who will continually judge you by wealth, beauty, and power? I know the economics of our culture is a roller coaster. Violence is rampant and out of control. Confidence and leadership of those who are in charge has waned significantly. The international stage is lordered with chaos. But will any of that keep you from believing in God and believing that God is faithful? And to seek Him first and foremost in our daily lives frees us up from the opportunity so that we can use our money and our time and our talent for His glory. So would you move towards that kind of life that considering the one you call Lord and Savior becomes most important because His character can become our character. Now I have some pretty good witnesses in my life about generosity. They were good teachers. I wish they were here this morning for you to meet, but they're in heaven. They're my grandmothers. Both my parents' mothers were wonderful examples of what it means to be a generous, freed-up person. Both of them eloped. I didn't know that until I was later in life. They lived during the Depression, which was a very difficult time in our culture. Some of you have heard about that. Some of you have parents and grandparents who, who lived that, and it affected their lives. But they taught my family about generosity and about giving. And I could talk about some other grandmothers. In fact, I'd like to tell you about my seminary roommates named Davis Chapel, And Davis is the pastor of the Brentwood United Methodist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, big old church in Nashville. And Davis's grandmother had a huge impact on his life. She loved to give presents. And at Christmas time especially, she loved to give presents. She had two grandsons and six granddaughters. <clears throat> And she and her husband lived together for over 60 years. And when Mr. Chapel died, her resources were significantly diminished. She lived on part of his pension and some Social Security. She never worked outside the home. And one year, some unforeseen circumstances happened, and it reduced her income even more. And it was in the fall of the year, and Christmas was coming, and she began to really be concerned that she was not going to be able to give her grandchildren a gift at Christmas. She had enough money for the two grandsons. But she had six granddaughters. 
And she started praying about this. She asked Davis's dad to pray about it with her because she really wanted, she knew how special it was and it did something for her. And finally she came to a sense of peace about it and she had a solution. She went upstairs in the attic of her house and she uncovered her most valued possession, her wedding dress that she had worn 60 years earlier or over 60 years earlier and had had it in storage. And from time to time, she looked at it to check on it. She went upstairs. She uncovered that wedding dress. She came downstairs singing a song. She took out her scissors and her needle and thread, and she went to work. So on Christmas morning when the family came, and they had lunch, and after lunch they all gathered around to open up their presents, you should have seen the faces on those six granddaughters when they unwrapped their packages and found six of the most beautiful dolls you could imagine made from the garment, the thread, and the material from their grandmother's wedding dress. We have a God like that. We have a God like that. And when we set aside our money to honor and glorify Him, He gives us good things. He gives people in our lives that matter. Sometimes he walks with us through the darkest of valleys because he never stops loving us. Sometimes there are challenges placed in our life that we didn't expect to happen. Some of them are real difficult. But he's not worried. He's free. And I believe, my friends, when we live in a relationship with God and we glorify Him by our giving of our money and using our talents for Him, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm in college, dude, I don't even have a job. There'll be a time when you can. There'll be a place where you can serve and there'll be people who will need you right now. You can glorify God. I hope that over the next couple of weeks when something comes in the mail from us here at the church through our finance committee and our stewardship ministry, that you'll take seriously the information in the packet. There's going to be a place for you to pray and consider an amount of money that we can count on to do the ministry here in our church. It takes money to do ministry to help pay for salaries for people that work here, to help do things here on this, in this building. This building's open up to people all over the community. And you help strengthen the ministry so that we can keep it open. It's more than a mortgage. It's an investment in people's lives. And we do things beyond this community with our money. And we support a United Methodist Church that goes all over the world. And every, every penny you put in there, 80% of it stays right here. I want you to know that. I'm, I didn't say that in the first service, but I want you to know some of you may not know that. And we have people who watch how we spend it. We're faithful with that. And it, it's joyful to be able to, to stand here this morning and say to Mike, Mike, the people here at Parkway Heights, instead of paying all that money they, they committed to to pay the mortgage, they took a tithe of it to help people in this community. 
That's about faith, y'all. It's amongst us. I'm just reminding you that we do this every year. And if you're in leadership in this church, that's a way you lead. I told you, I'm not, I don't want anybody to squirm. I'm just saying this is, this is who we are as faithful people as United Methodist. And they're, they're, I'm proud to be able to ask you to give to the work of Jesus Christ because I believe it changes lives and he changes lives and he encourages us and he blesses us to do that. So over the next couple of weeks, there'll be a chance for you to respond. There's a place where you can say, hey, I want to spend my time in this area of ministry. There's a booklet you'll get. And it'll tell you ways that you can serve. And it's a cool thing to be able to do that because you're going to make a difference in somebody's life and somebody's going to make a difference in your life. So I hope and pray that you have received this with an open heart because I sure sure have shared it from an open heart knowing that everybody is not at the same place. We can't all start at 10%. We can work there, though. We can work to it. And And it'll bless you because you'll feel good about it. I promise. Thank you for loving God, your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And thank you for wanting to be in a church that believes in prayers and presence and gifts and service and witness. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you receive now an offering and do it with a joyful heart as our ushers come forward and our band comes ready to lead us in the close of this service?